0: You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Got our Bibles to Second Corinthians uh, chapter number thirteen, if you would. We're winding down. It's hard to believe that we are uh, coming to the end of our study of Second uh, Corinthians. We've been going through verse by verse through Second uh, Corinthians for uh, probably about a year and a half now or so, uh, and we find ourselves at the end of chapter thirteen. And so it's uh, been exciting to go through this. If you missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecalled.org, we or you can subscribe to our podcast. Whatever you got to do to stay caught up, do that. Uh, I know you'll be encouraged by this as we studied through. Uh, we studied through before. 2 Corinthians, we studied through 1 Corinthians verse by verse, and that took us about a, a year and a half as well, so uh, the bulk of our existence as a church on Sunday nights has been in 1 and Second Corinthians, and so uh, we find ourselves, uh, tonight, uh, this is the last of three messages, uh, so if you want to continue on and read out the rest of the chapter, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we'll be covering that uh, next week, and then one final message the following week, uh, and I know you'll be uh, helped by that, so thanks for being here tonight. Second Corinthians uh, chapter number 13, we're going to start in uh, verse number 1. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, again, uh, Paul pastored the church at Corinth for about a year and a half. Uh, he wrote a total of four letters. We only have two of those. First and Second Corinthians uh, are actually his second and fourth letters that he wrote to the church. He's planning on going back a th- for a third visit after he finishes this letter uh, and after he wraps up some things that he's doing. Uh, most folks believe that he wrote this while he was at Philippi, and so when he wraps up some things at Philippi, he's going to go back to visit uh, the church at Corinth for a third time. Uh, and so as he writes here in uh, verse number one, he says, "This is the third time I'm coming to you." And the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established i told you before and i foretell you as if i were present the second time and being absent now write to them which here for two have sinned and all other that if i come again i will not spare in other words hey if you're doing things you shouldn't be doing know this when i come i'm going to call you out on it Uh, verse number three since you seek a proof of christ speaking in me which to you word is not weak, but mighty in you. Paul says, hey, you want proof that God's speaking through me? I'm gonna give you that proof that you search for. Some people had called into question whether or not Paul was even actually an apostle. They said, "Uh, Paul's just making this up. He's saying he's speaking on behalf of Jesus, but he's not really speaking on behalf of Jesus. Uh, He's doing this for himself. He's doing it for his own financial gain. Uh, He's not even really an apostle. He's not even really a preacher of Jesus. And he says, you want proof from me? You're you're gonna get it uh, for sure when I come. Verse number four. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Starting in verse 5 through 9 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here tonight. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove or test your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, that we should appear approved, that we should be that which is honest, we be though we be as reprobates, for we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. This also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest I be present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given unto me for edification, not to destruction. One of the things that Paul says is a key phrase, and we find in verse number five here, he says, examine yourselves, and then he says, prove yourselves or test yourselves. As we look at tonight's message, I've entitled tonight's message, The Authenticity of Our Faith. Paul says, you really think you believe the faith? You need to check yourself. From time to time, we as Christians need to pull over to the side of the road and check our own hearts and make sure that everything is right uh, between us and God. And Paul definitely calls for a self-examination in this case here as well. As we uh, look at this letter, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He's writing it to a body of professing believers. Uh, He's not writing to a group of of people that don't know Jesus. He's not writing to a group of people uh, who have no interest in the things of God. He's writing to a church, and he tells the people of the church, I want you to examine your life and find out whether or not you're truly a Christian or not. This gives us the thought, first of all, that being part of a church does not necessarily make you a true believer, It would be foolish to think that every single person that walks through these doors every single week is a true believer of Jesus Christ. Now, again, I'm not trying to put doubt in anybody's mind. You know whether or not you're a true believer of God or not. I can't make that determination for you. But I do know that this, that every person who walks through the doors of who we call a Baptist church is not necessarily a Christian. I had the opportunity to talk with a man today uh, after church and he's been coming for uh, several weeks now. He got invited by a coworker and I asked him, I said, uh, where would you say you're at on your faith journey? And he says, well, I don't really know what you mean by that. And I said, well, I said, you, w- you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. He said, no, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, what do you believe? And he says, I've kind of got my own beliefs. And I said, well, share those with me. And he began to share with how uh, he thought that we just needed to do good things. And he says, I really identified with a lot of what you said in this morning's message of being light in our community and making a difference where we are and being real to what we believe. He says, I identify with that a lot. I said, what parts did you not identify with? And he said, the whole, you have to believe in Jesus thing. I said, well, that's what sets us apart as Christians. And I said, are you familiar with what the Bible says? And he says, kind of, sort of. I said, well, I'll give you the, the, the short version of it. Here's the fact of the matter. We have all sinned against God and because of our sin, we've broken off our relationship with God. Every single one of us, because of our sin, has, has created distance between us and God so that we can't come to God on our own. We have a fractured relationship. And that fractured relationship, if it continues until the point where we die, and we die without Christ in our life, without Jesus in our lives, we will be separated from God for all of eternity. And I said, that's a bad thing. You don't want that to happen. I said, you'll go to hell for all of eternity separated from God. There's nothing you can do to get out of that. But Jesus came, died on the cross to pay for your sins and pay for mine so that our sin debt that we owe God could be paid. And we can find forgiveness in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're willing to put your faith in Jesus to save you and turn from your sin and realize, and admit to God you've been doing things the wrong way, you can be saved today. And he says, that makes sense to me. I said, good. He says, I just don't necessarily believe it to be true. I said, that's great. I just want you to know what the Bible says. He says, that makes sense. And so he began to say uh, about how he believes that uh, maybe those who don't do life the right way are are destined to come back and to to be reincarnated and and live life uh, through a second time until they get it right. And then maybe when they get it right, maybe they could go to heaven. I said, it sounds like a very logical idea. I said, but it doesn't hold any basis in scripture anywhere. And he goes, I get that. He said, I'm just trying to find my own way. And I said, well, I hope you look for truth. I said, continue looking for truth and you will find the truth. Uh, The Bible says that we'll find God when we search for him with all of our heart. And if you're looking for truth, truth is found in uh, the word of God. And if you continue to seek that out, you'll find the truth. But maybe just because you're here tonight might not necessarily make you a true believer. Church attendance has never made anybody a believer. Church attendance has never saved anyone from their sin. It requires something greater than that. It's a faith in God and it's a repentance toward Jesus Christ. Repentance means to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And so Paul tells the church of Corinth, guys, you need to examine yourselves and find out whether or not you are truly of the faith. And I challenge you tonight with this same challenge. I want you to examine your life and make sure before you leave here tonight that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God, that your sins are forgiven, that when you die, that heaven is your home. It's the most important decision you could ever make. You see, Paul, in two separate writings, warns against false brethren. If you turn just a few pages back into uh, verse num- chapter number 11 in 2 Corinthians, verse number 26, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-six, 26, Paul talks about the uh, uh, trials that he went through. He said, In journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea and in perils among false brethren. So Paul here says these are fake brothers. They call themselves Christians but they truly weren't Christians at all. Galatians chapter 2 verse number 4 says uh, Paul says in that because of false brethren unawares wrought in so when Paul wrote to the church at Galatia he said to them hey there's going to be some there were some false brethren that came into the church. Again, just because somebody names the name of Christ does not make them a Christian. Just because someone attends church does not make them a Christian. Just because somebody carries a Bible doesn't make them a Christian. Just because somebody calls themselves a pastor doesn't make them a Christian. What makes you a Christian? Faith in God and repentance towards Jesus Christ. And so he said you need to examine yourself because there's false brethren out there. Turn if you would to Matthew chapter 13. Keep your finger here in uh, 2 Corinthians. We're gonna come back in a sec, but turn over to Matthew chapter 13 if you would. <laughs> If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, the, the words in red were spoken by Jesus Himself. Now the the entire Bible is trustworthy from cover to cover for sure. But red letter editions of the Bible draw attention to the things that Jesus Himself said. And so if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll find these words in red because Jesus Himself spoke them. As you look at uh the um Matthew chapter thirteen here in this case, uh we we find the uh let's see, verse number um, Let's see here. Oh, verse 24. There we go. That's what I was looking for. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 24. Jesus tells a parable. A parable is a story, a a fictional story that has a spiritual truth. Verse 24, another parable he put forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. What happened is this man had uh, sowed a seed full of wheat, and wheat, when you open up the kernel inside, will have the good part that you actually take out. The tares you looks just like the wheat, but when you break it open, there's no fruit there. And the enemy had taken seed of tares and sown them throughout the field so that when the harvest came, it looked like he had a bumper crop of wheat, but when it came down to harvest it, the tares itself had no fruit in it. So in this case here we see verse number twenty seven. So the servants of the household holder came unto him and said, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in the fields? From whence then hath it tares? Hey, I thought you sowed good wheat seed. Why do we have all these tares? And he said unto them, An the enemy hath done this, and the servant said unto him, Wilt thou go up and then we gather them up? Should we go out and clean out all the tares? He says, nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. You can't go and and pull those out. Otherwise, you might pull the good fruit out at the same time as well. Verse 30 says, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I'll say unto the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, bind them into bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Interesting premise Jesus says here, there's, there's real wheat out there and then there's fake wheat out there. And the determination of what you do with that will be determined whenever it's time to harvest. Whenever you die, God's gonna separate the wheat from the tares. The the point here, here in this case, true believers are the wheat. They'll be gathered up and taken into the master's barn. They'll go to heaven. And if you're a true believer, at the end of your life, you'll be taken to heaven, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. I'm gonna speak this in love to you tonight. This is not a convenient thing to hear, but I wanted to tell you the truth. If you're not a true believer, there's coming a time at harvest when all of this will be gathered up and it's gonna be bundled and burned in the furnace, it says. That's a picture of hell right there. If you're not a true believer of Christ, you will, at the time of your death, be taken and bundled up with all other unbelievers and placed in hell for all of eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. There's no the purifying of your soul until you one day you get to go to heaven. It's over and done at that point. This is super-duper important because there are many people today who went to church, who prayed a prayer, who carried a Bible that are not true believers, now, you and I don't get to make the determination of who true believers are. That's not our job. It's not our job to pick out the wheat from the tares. The Bible says the master will do that when the harvest comes. It is our job to make sure that people know that they truly have eternal life and aren't hoping that maybe they'll get to heaven one day. It's critical. And so if you're here tonight and you say, I don't know whether I'm a wheat or a tare, you need to find that out before you leave tonight. Hey, I'll sit down and talk for hours with anybody who has questions about this personally you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, please don't leave here tonight without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, heaven's your home. Jesus warns against tares among the wheat. Jesus also warns against goats amongst the sheep. In Matthew chapter 22, we won't take time to turn there tonight, but it says at the the judgment, the great shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on his right hand, the goats will be on his left hand. Now, if you just got a big gathering of sheep and goats, it just looks like a bunch of animals together, but the the shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, will one day divide those. And if you're a sheep, you'll be gathered over to the right hand, you'll go to heaven. The goats will be gathered to the left hand, they'll be sent to hell. Very, very simple. This is very black and white. It's very cut and dried. It's not a, I hope when I die, maybe I'll make it to heaven. It's not, I hope that I'll be a sheep one day. It's not, I hope maybe I'm wheat one day. It's not, I hope I'm not a false brethren. It's a decision that you must make for yourself to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So being a part of a church does not make you a true believer. Paul warns against false brethren. Jesus warns against tares amongst the wheat. And Jesus warns against goats amongst the sheep. Turn back if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul challenges them in verse number seven. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, that we should not appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, uh, uh, though we be as reprobates. Paul says, hey, if you think we're sinners, that's fine. You just do the right thing. Paul's challenging the church at Corinth here to maturity. Paul's first letter that we find of 1 Corinthians was a challenge for them to set aside their sinfulness. This challenge in 2 Corinthians is a challenge to be mature Christians, to be mature believers. But here's the key, to be mature in Jesus, you must first be in Jesus. You can't be a mature Christian if you're not a Christian. I know this sounds really, really simple. But for you to be mature in Christ, you have to first be in Christ. And again, this is not a message that I, I want everyone to doubt the fact that they're, they're saved. If you know that you're a child of God, rest in the assurance that you are saved by the hand of God, by the grace of God, by your faith in God. I want you to take assurance in that. I'm not trying to create doubt tonight. But if you're sitting here tonight saying, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, you can't mature in Christ. You can't become a mature Christian because you are currently not a Christian. You see, we're placed in Jesus by faith and repentance. Very simple. We don't have to take a class to do this. We don't have to have people pray over us to do this. Uh, We're placed in Christ by our faith in God and our repentance of our sins. Very, very simple. When I was a nine-year-old boy, I recognized the sinfulness of my condition. I realized I'd broken God's law. I knew that I wasn't perfect, and I knew what God called sin. I had done it, and I was guilty before God. As a nine-year-old boy, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And at that moment, that nine-year-old boy was placed in Christ. Now, the maturity in Christ didn't happen until I was probably in my mid-20s. I never knew what it meant to walk with Jesus until I was probably 24, 25 years old. And then I began to mature in Jesus. But that mature, maturation, is that even a word, maturation? Yes, maturation. That that, that sounds really, okay, just rewind a little bit. That maturation that needed to take place in Christ, made me sound really smart, didn't it? That maturity process that had to go on could only take place because I'd been placed in Christ when I was a nine-year-old boy, does that make sense? So you might be here tonight and you say, well, I put my faith in Christ, maybe as as a kid, maybe as a teenager, maybe when I was in college, but I've never begun the maturity process. I would encourage you tonight to begin the process of becoming a mature follower of Jesus. That's not an overnight process, that's a lifetime process. But to do that, we first have to be in Christ. Final thought here tonight, self-examination is part of mature Christianity. We need to be able to look at our own selves and find out where we're lacking. I need to be able to take a survey of my life and know where I need to grow. Paul says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Test yourself. Run a test against yourself to find out if you truly are a believer. You say that you love God, prove it. How do you prove that? You say that Jesus is number one. Prove it. Put it to the test. I think most of us here tonight, if I said, if you love God, raise your hand, I believe most of us would raise our hands. But Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, if I said to you, how many of us are fully keeping Jesus's commandments tonight? I don't know that every one of the hands would go up. That's a way that we test our love for for Jesus. You say you love him, then obey him. God doesn't want emotion from us. God wants action from us. It's not about what I feel, it's not about what I think, it's about what I do. It's easy to say that I love God. It's a lot more difficult to prove it. It's easy to say that I love Jesus whom I've never seen. It's a lot more difficult to love my neighbor who I do get to see. But we're to prove ourselves, examine ourselves. First Corinthians when Paul's uh, speaking of the Lord's Supper and the uh, ordinance of taking the Lord's Supper and gathering together for communion and remembering what Christ has done for us. He says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11 verse number 31, "For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. What that means there is that we shouldn't have other people pointing out our own sinfulness and shortcomings. We should be able to point that out ourselves. I shouldn't need my wife to tell me that I should probably pray more. I should be able to figure that out myself. I shouldn't need someone to encourage me to share my faith. I should be able to figure that one out for myself. And if I can judge myself, then I don't need to be judged by other people. Again, when we're talking about judging, we're not talking about uh, pointing out people's sin for the purpose of embarrassment or anything like that. We're talking about checking our own heart. Is my heart right with God's heart? Are God's priorities in line with my priorities? Are the things that Jesus says important? Are those things important to me? That will determine my heart for God. You see, many Christians are experts in judging other people, but they fail to judge themselves. I'm really good at pointing out the faults of other people, but I don't do such a great job of pointing out my own faults to myself. Paul says that should be flipped. I should be an expert in examining my own heart. There's been times in my life where I have honestly been able to say with God, everything's right between me and you. I don't know of any sin that's in my life that I need to confess and I need to make right. I feel like my walk with God is as good as it's ever been. But like the psalmist, I wanna say, Lord, would you search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me If there's something in my life that's not right, would you make it painfully obvious to me? Would you point it out to me so that I can make that right with you? We examine ourselves in the light of the word. This right here is the rule book. This is the guidebook. This is what we're judged based on. (laughs) I love my kids' uh, projects that they get sometimes at school that they send home a rubric I don't know how many of you uh, f- forgot about what rubrics are, but they say, here's how we're breaking out the 100 points of this particular project. 25% is on appearance or 25 points for appearance and 25 points for this and 10 points for spelling and uh, five points for neatness and things like that. I love that. You know why? Because it tells me where we can maximize our points at, right? It's just like, oh, okay, we don't really have to worry about that. If we can do really good in these areas, we can slack off in the other areas, right? The Bible doesn't work that way. The Bible is our rubric, The Bible says, this is what's important, do this. And this is what I measure my progress by. Am I living like Jesus? If so, then I need to continue doing that. If I'm not living like Jesus, I need to change some things in my life to fall in line to be more like Jesus. I examine myself in the light of the word. Too often times Christians examine themselves in the light of other Christians. I'm not as bad as this guy over here. I mean, I've been to church twice this week. He hasn't been twice this month. I think I'm doing all right. No, wrong answer. We examine ourselves in the light of Scripture. We examine ourselves in the light of the example of Jesus Christ. My goal is not to be as good of a Christian as someone else. My goal is to be as good of a Christian as Jesus was. You say, well, pastor, we'll never meet that. Then we continually have something to strive for. You see, if my goal in life is to be as good of a Christian as Bob over here, maybe one day I'll surpass Bob, and now I've met my goal, and I'm, I'm done with life. No, no, no. If Christ is my goal, I'll never meet that, but I can continually push towards it. I can continually strive towards that. I have someone, here's the thing. You have a question on how God would handle interpersonal conflict if he were here? You find it in the story of who Jesus was. You wonder about how God would treat his friends if he had them? You find that in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. How would uh, God handle workplace conflict? The same way Jesus did how do you handle people that don't like him? The same way Jesus did. How should we handle people who do us wrong? Oh, Just follow the example of what Jesus did. We must examine ourselves and our commitment to obedience. We cannot love God and at the same time disobey him. They're polar opposites. Our love for God is directly linked to our obedience to God. And we live in a day where Christians don't wanna to be told what to do. Oh, don't, don't tell me what to do, I'm doing my own thing. You know, God knows my heart. I don't have to obey him because God knows my heart. If you're not obeying God, then God does know your heart and it's that it, you're wicked. You don't love God because you don't obey him. So we have to examine ourselves, am I obeying what the Bible says? Finally, we must examine our commitment to holiness. God is a holy God and he expects holiness from us. Holiness is not a bad word. Holiness means separate from sin. And if sin is over here, we as Christians need to be over here. The problem is many Christians want to get as far up to the line as they can get to sin without crossing over. Well, uh, you know, if Christians aren't supposed to curse, what's the worst word a Christian could say and still get away with it? That's not holiness. Sometimes dating couples ask the question, well, I know we probably shouldn't have sex while we're dating. What's the most that we can do without it crossing the line? I don't wanna get close to the line, much less cross the line. I need to be far from the line. And the answer to that question, Paul says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. I think it's pretty straightforward there. But the guideline is not what other people are doing, what society finds acceptable. The guidelines is what does the word say. Am I walking in holiness? If so, that's, an indication that I'm headed the right direction. Most important thing in the world tonight is you know for sure that you're saved. Has there been a time in your life where you've been born again, that you have put your faith in God, repented of your sins, turned to Jesus, and were saved? The Bible says no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You have to have a time in your life where you were saved. If you don't have that, please don't leave tonight without making sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. But most of you, I know your story. I know of how you came to Christ. And I would challenge you with this. You need to ask yourself, am I being obedient to the word? Am I growing in holiness? Am I growing in Christ-likeness? Am I growing in maturity? Can I look at my life and say, I'm a better Christian today than I was in January of this year. I'm a better Christian today than I was this time last year. Or you might say, well, I had a time you know, where I was a lot closer to Christ than I was now, then I want to challenge you to get back to that right relationship of where you were. Whatever that looks like. It might be something small. It might be just spending time in the Word every day. It might be spending more time in prayer. It might be sharing your faith. It might be uh, confessing sin that needs to be made right. It might be a relationship that you have uh, going on in your life that doesn't honor God that needs to be cut off. I don't know what it is, but I know that all of us have room to grow. I want to challenge you this week. Be mature, continue to grow. As Paul winds down his letter here, he he challenges them with maturity. As I wind down tonight's message, I wanna challenge you with maturity. Every one of us has an area where we can take a step up this week. Let's take a step up and be more like Jesus this week.